Church, you're listening to our sermon podcast. We hope you find these messages helpful during this Advent season. Let's dive in together and make room for Jesus. Let every heart prepare Him room. Thanks for joining us. Let's begin. It's a, a huge blessing and honor for me to be standing here before you. I want to say, say something really quick. Um, I do not take this position lightly. In fact, uh, as I prepare for uh, any kind of sermon series, it does require a lot of prayer, a lot of time, a lot of listening to the Lord to see what it is that He, he wants me to share with you guys. And uh, as I was preparing for the Advent season, which, by the way, I started doing months ago, and I've just been wondering, what am I going to share with God's people? Lord, what do you have? And so here's the fact of the matter. We are now in December. It's hard to imagine. I don't know about you guys. I don't know what your lifestyle has kind of presented for you guys. But to me, November didn't even exist. I only remember two days in November, to be honest with you. And it's just been flying by. And, you know, the reason for that is because there's just so much going on. And as we get older and as we, you know, develop more responsibility, then it really just takes the life out of us. Essentially, we are limited with time. And so we're so just pressured by everything that needs to be done. And there it goes. Time is gone. But here we are, December. And my intention here and my hope and prayer for all of us is that we would just pump the brakes a little bit, slow down and enjoy enjoy this season because this is a very important and special season. This Christmas season, I really, really like for us as God's people to be well prepared to receive the Christmas season, to receive the gift of Christmas, which is Christ himself. And so I really want us to, again, slow down and think deeply, make room for what is to come. Now there's a Christmas song that you probably all have heard. It's called Joy to the World. <laughs> There's a line there that just really hits me. Let every heart... What is it? What's that? You guys are singing... Let every heart prepare him room. That's what this is going to be all about. It's making room. And that line is so important because, again, if we consider our life, we consider everything that's been going on, we have to stop and we have to make room. Otherwise, we're going to miss it. And I don't want us to miss it. I really want us to take the time and do what we ought to do. We ought to make room for Christ. We must prepare him room here in our hearts, not just like you do a Christmas tree, that you make room for a Christmas tree, knowing that it's going to be there temporarily, and then come January, it's going to be put back into the garage or wherever it is that you store it. That's not the kind of room that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of room that you make like when you're expecting a child, where your life just changes, where you have to actually look into, okay, where am I going to have this? What am I going to do? And you plan because this is a permanent change in life. This is the kind of room that we ought to be making for Christ. So make room. That's what I decided to title our Advent sermon series. Make room. Please remember that. Keep that in your hearts. Make room. Everything that you do this season, have that in mind. I must make room. I must slow down. I must be intentional about making room. Because you see, this phrase can actually be said in a variety of contexts if you think about it. 
Just a couple of weeks ago when we celebrated Thanksgiving, we had the privilege to travel to Nevada. That's a long journey. I had to say to my daughters, how many of you guys here have daughters? You'll, you'll resound with me. I had to say to my daughters, do not bring too much. We must make room because your brother is going to come back with us. You have to make room. Otherwise, if you have daughters, you understand that they love to bring stuff, animals, pillows, blankets, and whatever it is that they bring. They'll find something to bring. You have to make room. Otherwise, something else is going to take it. Now, my wife is really good about leaving open spaces throughout the house. If it were totally up to me to clutter my house, I would. Oh, there's an open space. Let's put a table on it, you know. We have to make room. We have to make sure that we're intentional about this. And so um, you might also say or hear the phrase make room in this context while perhaps you're walking through a crowd. Now, it's shopping season. You've probably gone through the grocery store at Walmart or wherever it is that you go. You have to make room for the crowd. When you're in those aisles, you have to scoot over because the other people look at you and wonder, why aren't you moving? You know, We have to make room for crowds. We have to make room for people. Or perhaps you know, you're trying to set something down. Or as I mentioned, we're trying to decorate our home or something. You're trying to put something somewhere, but you realize that it's cluttered or crowded, a table, whatever it may be, you have to make room. You must make room for something or someone. This phrase can imply that there's simply just too much in the way. That's the bottom line. There's just too much in the way. So the Advent season is about making room. The Advent season is about waiting and preparing for Jesus, anticipating him anticipating the goodness that's to come. This is a good time for us to take stock of our crowded lives because too often we know that we're busy and there's too much going on, but we don't actually consider what it is. So it's a good time to take stock of that and to begin making room for Jesus. So what is Advent? Because a lot of people don't actually know what this word means. This is the Advent season. Now, if you ask me, it sounds like a very religious word, you know what I mean? And so I wonder, what is this? I've wondered for so many years what this word was, because you heard it as if you were just supposed to know what that means. So let me just define that for you. Advent is a posture of waiting for the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. It comes from a Latin word. The root word is adventus, which means a coming. Folks, someone is a coming. That's Advent, a coming. This is the Advent season. That means this is the season in which we anticipate that someone is a coming, and it's someone great, someone notable. It is something amazing. Now, let me kind of go back a little bit and give you a little bit of context of what I'm going to be talking about today. Initially, God's people, the people of Israel, they had prepared for the Advent of the Lord, referring to the, the incarnation of God. So back in the day, they were preparing for God to come in the flesh. They were preparing for his arrival. We call it the first advent. And that came through Jesus of Nazareth. Now, some of them were preparing for this because the, the prophet Isaiah had foretold that for to us a child will be born, right? And so some of them were anticipating this, but not everybody. Everybody just had the, the I would say, the, a, a greater picture, a more uh, just a 
epic picture like in their minds, and so they weren't necessarily anticipating what it was, but some of them were. Some of them were waiting in anticipation. They knew what to look for. They knew what to wait for. Let me show you an example of that in Luke chapter 2. Let's go there uh, briefly. In Luke chapter 2, we read of this man named Simeon. I don't know if you remember Simeon. This is a good part of the Christmas story. But Luke chapter 2, verse 25, let me get there. It says this, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Look at him. He was waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's what he was waiting for. That's what he was anticipating and 26, 27, excuse me. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, meaning Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, look what Simeon says. This is just a beautiful picture here. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What a beautiful scene. This man was waiting in anticipation and the Lord blessed him and granted him the ability to see the salvation that he was waiting for, the Christ. That's the kind of heart that we ought to have. We have to make room so that we're not blinded by everything else and so that we're able to see the blessing that is in this season. Oh, how he looked forward to this moment. For the people of Israel, this is hope. This is hope. They weren't hopeless, but here's the thing, though. They longed for salvation. They longed for someone to deliver them from their oppressors. Now, let's go back 700 years from this moment. Let's go back to the days of Isaiah, who prophesied that a child would come. Now, let's go back to that scene. Now, we know that Israel has a history of falling into oppression. Israel has a history of being conquered by other nations and being ruled over them. And so this is a pretty dark time for Israel. And here they are. Here they go again. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Israel had fallen to its oppressors. Now, this is the first time that they fall since King David and King Solomon. We've recently learned about King Solomon and his wisdom. After King Solomon died, the nation of Israel was divided into two. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kept the, the name Israel. The southern kingdom was then known as Judah, okay? And so while they're here, while they're being ruled by two different kings, the Assyrians come in and they invade and conquer the northern, northern nation called Israel. This is a dark time for them, which meant, which meant that the, uh, the, 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 the danger was imminent for the southern kingdom of Judah as well. And then here comes the prophet Isaiah, the Lord raises this man to declare the judgment that's about to come, that's to come to Israel because of their disobedience. You see, the, the reason why the Lord allowed this is because Israel forgot the Lord. Israel separated itself from the Lord. It was cluttered by so many things. Its hope 
was not in God anymore. It was on allies. It was on neighboring countries. It was on things. It was on status. It was about what they can gain as, as kingdoms. Their hope was no longer in the Lord. And so the Lord allows this kind of judgment to fall upon them, and the outcome was grievous. In fact, Isaiah describes God's people as walking in the deep and thick darkness. So we've seen pictures and images of what's been going on in Israel today. Can you imagine having to go to bed, wondering if something or a bomb is going to land on you? Can you imagine that kind of darkness, that kind of that desperation to be saved? Can you imagine that? This is the situation that Israel found itself once again in a deep and thick darkness. And so, friends, you may very well know that we're caught in a deep and thick darkness today as well. Hope becomes, listen to me, hope becomes more and more foreign when you are in a deep darkness. It becomes more of a fairy, like what is hope? When you become uh, it, just surrounded by a darkness, it's, it's almost like you forget what it is to be hopeful. But look what happens here. In the midst of this darkness, a bright light completely illuminates them. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. It says this, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. By the way, those are the two northernmost tribes that would have been first to fall, which is why Isaiah is mentioning that way. But then it says this, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This is hope. In other words, the present time is clearly marked with in anguish, is what he's saying, but the future hope of Israel will enter through Galilee, the gateway to the nations. Isaiah is saying, hey, it's dark, it's gloomy, but there's hope. He's prophesying to the hope that is to be found in Jesus Christ. And so the first thing I'd like to point out here is that we must make room for hope. We must make room, excuse me, for hope. Sometimes it's, life seems hopeless, but let me tell you something, hope is a coming. And this is what we're anticipating. Check this verse, verse number two in Isaiah chapter nine. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, he says. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Guys, I love this. Think about this. This is a beautiful image of God's grace. What a beautiful picture of his love over his people. Because the first First of all, the reason why they're in darkness was actually merited. They earned that. They were disobedient, and this was actually what they earned from that. But in his grace, in his grace, there's light. There's hope. In his love, there's life. Life, there's hope. And so make room for what will come next is what Isaiah is saying. Guys, there's hope. Begin to prepare. Make room. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Let's hold it right there. This means so much to them. In other words, the governments will knee to this guy. They will bow to this guy. He will rule with a mighty and strong arm. This is exactly what they're hoping for at the time because right now they're ruled by their oppressors. And so to hear that someone amongst them will be born and be able to rule is great news for them. This is so wonderful. Now they're probably thinking, wow, really? Could this really be? Could this be perhaps Hezekiah's son? 
the next Davidic king that was in line? Could this be King Ahaz? You see, they're thinking so small. So we're talking about a future Davidic king here. And so they're thinking within this, just this level. But no, 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 no. Keep reading verse 6. And then Isaiah continues and he says, And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This can't be any ordinary person. This is kind of like, nope, that's definitely not going to be a Hezekiah's son. That's definitely not Ahaz. And if your parents who have children of the Davidic line, you're probably looking down on your children and saying, that's definitely not my kid. You know, this is, these are titles. These are names that are attributed to divinity. This is not an ordinary person that, that Isaiah is pointing to. And so here's the next thing I'd like to point out. We must make room for Christ. That's our hope. So we have to make room for Christ. So this Advent season, we make room for Christ. Who is Christ? Christ is God. Ben, can I speak to you really quick? You asked a really good question last first Friday, and I wanted to try to answer it, but I don't think I'm going to totally answer it to the point where you understand. The relationship between God and Jesus wait a minute, Jesus is God, God is Jesus, how does God have a son Jesus, how does that happen? Remember you were kind of confused about that? Check this out, for humans to be able to go into space, we need a spacesuit. That spacesuit is actually going to help us stay alive in space, because space is no place for a human, right? And so that spacesuit is what helps us stay alive. Now here's what God does. God takes on an earth suit, so God puts on a body, so that this body could die in earth because you can't kill God. And so God had to put on an earth suit, which is a body, and that body, therefore, could be killed. So I hope that that helps a little bit. I know that you had a big head scratcher there, and I wanted to try to clarify it as best as I can, and that could be a conversation that we keep having uh, uh, in the future, but this is exactly what Christmas means, that God comes so that he can deal with the problem, the problem of sin, and only he could deal with it. This requires a deity, and so Isaiah describes the Christ as a wonderful counselor, is what he says. This is who we are anticipating. Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He is the counsel from the right from the right hand of God himself. In fact, everything that Jesus says is the counsel of God. How many of you guys have a Bible with Jesus's words in red letters? That is the counsel of God. Wonderful counselor, Jesus the Christ. So let's make room for his counsel. This Advent season, that's what we ought to do. We ought to, instead of listening to the news and cluttering our minds with whatever it is that entertain us, let's make room for the counsel of God, which is Jesus's words. Let's make room for that. So that means we have to open up our Bibles. We have to learn. We have to listen. We have to just glean from him. This Advent season, make room for the wonderful counselor. Amen? Amen? And so again, you have to be intentional about this because it may be busyness, it may be anxiety, it may be stress, whatever it may be, we have to make room for Christ's counsel. Now this Advent season, again, we make room for Christ Jesus, who is mighty God. Okay, this is not an ordinary person. There's no one that I know that I would call mighty God. Absolutely not. Now, Isaiah is telling us that a son has been given to us, Jesus Christ, and that this baby born in a manger is none other than Almighty God himself. This is a huge claim. 
This is tremendous. So some would argue that Jesus isn't God. In fact, I mentioned that because not too long ago, two young ladies knocked on my door and they were trying to tell me that Jesus wasn't God. And my answer to them is, have you read your Bible? That's why he was killed. Because he was God. He, he claimed to be God. There was nothing, nothing other than him being and walking as God in the flesh that meant what he means to us, right? Got, Jesus is God. He is much more than that. Look at this. Look at this. In Luke chapter 5, verse 20, we read that Jesus forgave sins. Now, this is in the context of the paralytic man who was brought through the roof. He says to him, and when he saw his faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. If you remember, the Pharisees were like, who do you think you are? And he says, what's easier to do? Say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. That's so godly. Who does that? right? He had the authority of God to forgive sins, and they would call him out for blasphemy. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he claimed to be one with the Father. Whoa, how dare you? He's saying me, I, me, and the Father are one. If you see me, you see the Father. That's, that's a high, high claim right there. In John chapter 11, verse 43, he does something amazing. He raises the dead. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus had been buried for a few days already. What kind of authority, what kind of power does this man have to be able to resurrect the dead? You see, Jesus is more than just a man. This is a deity. This is God in the flesh. And ultimately, he was crucified for blasphemy. That's why he was killed. As he claimed to be God, people got angry at him, and so this merited death. And so then... He did the godliest, most godly thing ever. It's amazing. He was killed, and then he got up. He got up. You know what this means? He had the authority to take his life that was taken from him. He got up. He resurrected. There's this resurrection, and this is what ultimately vindicated his claims. If the resurrection of Christ didn't happen, then he's just an ordinary man. But the fact of the matter is that he had the authority to take his life again, right? He is the father of life. He is the one whom all things were created. He's the one who breathed the breath of life into all things. He is God. We must make room for Christ as we have, as he has made room for us. So you can see all of this was him making room for us. He didn't have to take the flesh. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to raise. He didn't have to do any of that, but he did it to make room for us that we would be in his glory forever and eternity. He has made room for us, folks. And the way that he's done it is such an act of love that we too must make room for him. It would be such an injustice for him to do all of that and for us to say, yeah, whatever. No, let's make room for him. Let's do this out of our gratitude for what he has done for us already. This is beautiful. This is amazing. God took on the flesh in the form of a baby. Just a picture blows my mind he, that he might be the required sacrifice. Wow. That he, would be recon, that, that he would reconcile us to the Father and restore us to a state of peace with him because before Christ's death and resurrection, we were enemies of God. We were in enmity with him. But because of him, he took the sin, the punishment that we owed, and he gave us his righteousness. What a gift. 
What a gift, right? And so now we have peace with God. We have been reconciled with God, which is why um, Isaiah calls him Prince of Peace. This is Christ. He didn't have to do any of that, folks. But he made room for you and I. Look at John 3.16. You know this, this verse by heart. God so loved, he so loved the world. That's you and me. God so loved you that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What a gift. What a gift that we would be able to have eternal life. And so Isaiah goes back and says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, because Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the everlasting father. Now, this is not to say that God, that he is God the father. He's not God the father, actually, but rather the father of a new kind of humanity, one that currently is in waiting for his second advent. See, as Christians, we must make room for his return. So we're no longer waiting for his first advent. He has already come. We celebrate the fact that he has already come and he has taken the flesh. Now as Christians, we actually wait for his second advent. And we do that every day, not just December. All right? We have to understand that he is coming back. Look at John 14, 3. And if I go, he says, and prepare a place for you, which he has, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Amen. What a beautiful promise. Matthew 24, 44 says, therefore, you also must be ready. Remember Advent, waiting, preparing, making room for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Folks, let's make room for his return. Let's anticipating, anticipate him by living a life of obedience. That's how you do that. That's how you make room practically. You live a life according to the words and the wisdom, the commands of Jesus Christ, by loving one another, by seeking of him, by, by really diving into the work that he has called us to do to go and make disciples of all nations. This is how we make room for him. This is how we prepare. This is how we're sanctified. This is how we're conformed to the image of Christ by working diligently for the advancement of the kingdom. And then Revelation 22:12 says, Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. In other words, as the great theologian Arnold Schwarzenegger once says, I'll be back. Amen. That's exciting, isn't it? That's great. That's good news. So in this season of Advent, we will make room for Christ. Amen. We're going to slow down. We're going to make room for Christ. We will remember and celebrate his first Advent, but we will continue to prepare for his glorious second Advent because he is coming back. So let me ask you guys something. Let's take a moment of reflection and really think this in our hearts. Are you currently beginning this Advent season without hope? Do you feel like, man, I am in a thick and dark place. This isn't cool. I hope that this encourages you to see that it's not about the Christmas lights. It's not about the presents under the tree. It's not even about the, the tree itself. You know, this Advent season is for us to celebrate and recognize that we have already received the greatest gift that we could have but because he loves us, which is Christ himself. So if you're without hope, let me tell you, there is hope. As long as the Lord lives, there is hope. And let me tell you, death couldn't even hold him. 
<laughs> so there's hope. So there's hope. Or, or, or maybe you have misplaced hope. Maybe you're considering things that you shouldn't be for that sense of happiness, of joy, of satisfaction. Let me tell you, if we do that, we're going to miss it. I don't want us to miss it. Or maybe you are experiencing hope in Christ. And if you are, God bless you, really, and share that hope with someone else. Don't hoard it to yourself. Share it. Proclaim it. Do what the Lord has called us to do. We must make much of Christ. And let us not just make a little bit of room for him. Let's completely, completely change our lives to make room for him permanently, as if you're expecting a child. Amen? And so let's shift our entire lives for him. That's what we're called to do for Christ. Again, he has made room for us in his love, and he has sealed it with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Now, I want to close with a reading from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, in regards to the hope that we have. This is a prayer of thanksgiving from Paul to the church of Ephesus, and it says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what are the immeasurable greatness? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Unless we have Christ, there's going to be a void. There's going to be an emptiness. Christ is the fullness of all in all. Let's make room for Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love and we praise you and we give you honor and glory today, recognizing you, Lord Jesus, as the greatest gift that has ever come upon us, Lord Jesus, that while we were yet sinners, while we were undeserving of your love and your forgiveness that you have granted it to us, Lord Jesus, thank you for taking on the flesh. Thank you for living a life of wisdom. Thank you for living a good example for us, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for us, and thank you for taking up your life. And thank you for the promise of your return. We love you. We anticipate you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.